When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms to be encouraged, nurtured, and inspired. Also, you'll learn the latest in teen research and trends and get practical parenting tips. You really can improve your relationship with your teen and enjoy the teenage years. Welcome back, everyone, to the 187th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. Today's guest is Dr. Charles Sophie, author of Family Values, Reset Trust, Boundaries, and Connection with Your Child. He is the medical director of the Los Angeles County Department for Children and Family Services and a regular contributor on the Dr. Phil Show. Dr. Sophie has helped all kinds of families break harmful patterns. Based on his wealth of experience as a psychiatrist and as a father, Dr. Sophie assures every parent, no matter how complicated life gets or how off course your family dynamics become, it's never too late to hit the reset button and move forward with confidence, love, and authenticity with your family values leading the way. So welcome, Dr. Charles Sophie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. So the first question that I ask all my guests is if you are a parent, and if so, what is the ages of your kids? Yes, I am a parent, good and bad. I have one son who's 20 years old. Okay. So it's easy now, right? Oh, never easy. And it <laughs> never gets easier. But it gets better. <laughs> yes, yes. And the love gets deeper. The love gets different and deeper. Yes, I have a daughter that's 25. So yes, I agree. Yeah. So you have been on the Dr. Phil show for many, many years. Like how many years? About 15 years. Wow. So are there a couple of stories that you could tell from that that are have anything to do with teens and tweens and parents? Yes, absolutely. And unfortunately, all of them 
whether they're from 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, or last week, they all have the same common theme through it, where yeah. a parent has lost control, never usually knowingly. And they're like, well, now what? So the one that really stands out to me most often is a mother and a daughter who came in and the parents are divorced and the father wrote in because the time that he, that the daughter is with the mother, the custodial time, she's with the mother and they're clubbing and they're, you know, the mother's taking her out to strip clubs and teaching her how to be a stripper, like in the mom. Mm. Mm. So, you know, there's loss of control. There's lots of issues. This poor man was married to his daughter and then they had a daughter. <laughs> wow. So wow. that's pretty significant. That's a sad one. Yeah. And there's other ones that, you know, parents have so much domestic violence going on that their children become the parents. Mm, yeah. And then yeah. substance abuse, substance abuse creeps in and that kind of stuff. And then there's a, one story in my book that was on the show. And it was a young girl who lived in a nice, pretty, you know, together home. Parents were intact, affluent, and ended up, was not doing well in school. And not, you know, friends weren't, you know, decompensating. She was isolating. And all of a sudden, after she got a new group of friends, she started to do well in school. She did really much better academically, her friends. And we go to find out that she ended up learning how to vape with these new friends. And she was treating her ADD with the nicotine mm, mm. and even though it was a substance abuse issue that her parents brought her in for because she was vaping and they didn't like it it ended up opening up our eyes to a diagnosis and then other treatment so there's all different ways things happen but this is a tough age tweens yeah. and teens yeah absolutely you have just written a book called family values reset trust boundaries and connection with your child so what prompted you to write this book? Well, I started writing this book pre, pre-pandemic when I saw how sideways a lot of families were going and how lost they were. And as technology took over and marijuana use took up, it was getting scarier because kids were being offered drugs in grade school and fentanyl was coming in and I just saw all that. And then luckily on some level, it slowed down to some point, but it also accelerated other things during the pandemic because now mandated reporter eyes were off of children and drugs were able to be bought online through Snapchat and parents couldn't track it. So there was a lot of good things and not great things. So post-pandemic even made it more important to write this book. And as the medical director for LA County Department of Children's Services, we're the largest child welfare foster care system in the country. And without mandated reporters on eyes of our kids, we are now inundated with things and families need help more than ever. Mm. And I wanted to make it simple for them and ways to get back on track and find value within their family. Yeah. Yeah. What's well, a really good book. Thank you. So what do you mean by family values? When I talk about family values, what I'm referring to is what a family would say, like what you would want your daughter or my, would want my son to say, our family doesn't believe in that or our family wouldn't tolerate that or our family doesn't do those kinds of things. You know, values that your child can carry with them, but they've learned through role modeling and your traditional ways of being. 
that they give them ethics and standards and values. And they see somebody who works eight hours a day and finds value in it and sleeps well at night and eats together. Those kinds of things that will make, make a structure and a family stay together forever. And that's yeah. why in the book, I put it in a parallel process to building a family portrait. It's like coming together as a group, agreeing on where you're heading, what you're going to wear, where you're going to hang it, what kind of frame. And it's a, a family heirloom. Well, that's what your family values are you know, supposed to be consistent with. Because we've lost sight of all that. Yeah. So kind of in the beginning of the book, you told a story about Nicholas and kind of that led to where your work begins. So can you talk about that? Yes. I mean, Nicholas was a great story to tell of where a parent thought they were helping their child because they didn't want to try the medication that they needed for their ADD and their depression. The child felt he got better relief using marijuana from a friend. So mom, not wanting to be a, a parent really, and upset her child, she agreed to buy her son the marijuana, which is only opening a door because her sister is a full-blown addict. So genetically, she's opening her son up to a lot, not knowingly necessarily. And then we go down a path of addiction for this boy and, you know, marital disconnect within their home. And then meanwhile, he has a younger sibling who's just standing there watching all of this and everything the mother didn't want to create from what she grew up with an addict sister and her family she recreated without knowing mm -hmm. and so it was important for me to take that and show people how you run right into what you're trying to run from if you don't look at yourself yeah yeah absolutely i mean i'm sure in your practice you hear many people say i just don't want a parent like my mother did or my father so I'm going to do the opposite, but that doesn't mean you're going to do the, the, the best thing. You need to figure out why you didn't like what your mother and father did and figure out what it is you want to do based on who you are today, not just do the opposite because doing the opposite, you're going to go do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I see that's really true. You say that parenting begins with you. Yes. Meaning the listener and that the parent is the change agent. Can you explain what that means? What I mean by that is like similar to on an airplane, when you have these pilot tells you put the airbag on yourself and your child, that's counterintuitive for many people because they're like, well, my poor baby is going to die, but your baby can't live if you're not living. So you breathe first, then your kid breathes. Will you be the parent that you need to be so that your child is a role model to be the person they need to be and then the parent they can be? So it does begin with you. And if it doesn't begin with you, it's never going to begin. Yeah. So what does a parent do if they still have issues? Well, that's what they need to do. I mean, I go through the book in a simple assessment in two ways. I call it the SOAPI method. The first step is called the sweep assessment. It's five key areas of your life that you can quickly go through and look at them for yourself as an individual. And then as your, as your children and your family members as individuals, and then as your family as a whole. So looking at the first S in sweep, it's like the broom. S-W-E-E-P, sleep is the S, and looking at the quality and the quantity of your sleep. And if there's an issue, address it. If there isn't, then, you know, try to better your sleep and your sleep for your family and the value of sleep in your home. Work is where do you spend those hours of the day that are meaningful to you? Are they purposeful? Do you come home and you're angry? Or do you come home and you feel fulfilled? 
for your child is that an academic setting that is appropriate socially and academically for your child or are they struggling and you don't know it the first e is about eating and are you eating properly eating regularly is your child nourished or are they hypoglycemic and that's some of the behavior you're seeing and are you eating as a family at times or as often as you can and then the the second is about emotional expression within yourself, within your marriage, if you're in that, in that kind of a relationship, or teaching your children how to move properly and learning how to do it yourself. And then the P is play. Hobbies, things you do yourself, and things you could do with others and with your family. So five areas that you need to look at. Keep them in balance. Yourself as an individual, your family as a whole. And when you do that assessment, you'll come up with places where you need to fill in gaps and then that's the second step of the process where you make a roadmap. It's an individual roadmap. Then everybody groups together to make the roadmap. And that's the similar project to a family portrait where we all agree to where we need to go, what we need to do as individuals and as a group to make us come together and end up with some value here. So would you have everyone in the family do that and then share that together? Yes. And parents so have to do it themselves first so that they know what they're doing and where they are at. And then they can guide their children. And, you know, the more resistance, as you know, a child gives you about change, the more you know you need to do the change. Right. Do you have any kind of examples of families who've used it and what's happened? Oh, yeah. yeah, many families. And that's why I wrote about it, because it worked well. They've come up with different, you know, it's amazing how many people, you could have five people in a house and everybody views sleep differently or would tell you how their sleep is different based on their ages. And there's very few homes that have a unified view about sleep, where parents say everybody's asleep by a certain hour, technology is off, and they learn and they teach their children how to unwind and relax before they go to bed. I mean, these are not practices people need at their fingertips, and they should. So teaching people how to do that is amazing, because just getting eight hours of good quality sleep for everybody in the house shifts everybody's mood and tolerance much less if everybody's eating regularly. So yeah, when we hold, when we do the assessment and you come up with even just little kinds of places you can make changes, they shift a lot. Because you're not just shifting mental health, you're shifting physical health. Right, right. So how have teens responded to that? Well, some teens, you know, respond well because they've been irritated by the disconnect and the chaos in their family. The, the more mature ones, you know, or like, thank God, finally, somebody's telling my parents that my little brother needs to go to sleep and he can't control our house. Then there's the other ones who want the control that they've had and they don't want to give it up. Mm -hmm. And so that's more of a struggle, but that they're the ones who need it the most. That's what I mean when I say if your teen is rolling their eyes and they're angry and resistant, it's because they really need it. But at the end of the day, it means love. They love mm -hmm. you enough to discipline you. They love you enough to put some controls in the house. And that's what brings family value. You know, I tell parents all the time, remember, you didn't get like this overnight. This is not a process you have to do overnight. It's just starting the process. It's huge. And doing mm -hmm. a sweep assessment on yourself is just a, a great start. Yeah. Yeah. I like how you made it really accessible and simple. Not simple in terms of implementing it, but in terms of remembering it. Yeah. And I don't want people to be overwhelmed by it. It's not like another book where it's like, oh, God, now they're blaming me as a parent and I got to do all this other stuff. Forget it. This is simple stuff that you need to do every day and makes life better for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really important that 
we tell people they're not being blamed for anything. You know, there's never too late to be a better parent. It's never too late to be a parent that you want to be. Even if you have an adult child, I try every day myself to be a better parent. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not about blame. It's about growth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll be growing the rest of my life. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) So what are some of the common toxic power dynamics that you frequently see? Oh, oftentimes... I deal with a lot of different populations from indigent to affluent. And no matter what, somewhere a child gets a control of a house sometimes where a parent is one of those parent styles that I, de- I describe in the book. And when a child has control of the house, it's because they've had a very lightweight, feather-like parent who has allowed it. If, they have a, if a child is a very scared, timid, angry child who's isolated it's because they probably have a parent who's tyrannical with them and so i've seen many different dynamics brought forward but none of them are healthy when they're the only style that a parent uses vacillating between them picking the right one based on the situation with the child is the best way to be so i've seen a ton of toxic things but most toxicity comes because the parents aren't getting along whether they're divorced in in the separate homes or in the same home. And that's why it's important to know yourself and know what you're doing with your co-parent, if you have one. So do you have any tips for co-parenting? Yes. I mean, you got to figure out where you're at. Like that for each one of you have to do that inventory of yourself to see what you're bringing in that you didn't like or you liked. And then what you put on the table that you want to use and that they want to use and to come up with a, a hybrid model of all that. And then you move forward implementing it where each one does what's strong, what their strengths are. And the other one covers for the other. It's a team approach. Whether you like the other person doesn't matter at this point. It's about the best interest of your child. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So explain what you mean by modeling the behavior you want to see. Well, if you want to see a five-year-old be respectful and kind and loving, then do that. If you want to see one that's out of control, still then keep doing road rage. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's that simple. They, yeah. They're gonna they're gonna do what they see. Yeah. My mom yelled at the lady at the grocery store, so I can yell at you. No, mm-hmm. you can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so interesting how you can kind of justify it's okay for me to yell at you child but it's not okay for the child to yell it like there's somehow that in the parent's head that you kind of justify it like somehow that's okay but in the kid's head it's counterintuitive right and they're like who are you kidding you're yelling at me but i can't yell at you so you shouldn't really be yelling at your kid because Mm -hmm. you're teaching them that when they get to your age they can yell at their kid or anybody else they want so respect your child. You can be angry in a respectful way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nothing more that used to bother my son than when he would be upset and I would start to whisper. <laughs> because he'd have to stop to hear me, de-escalate himself, and then be nice, sort of. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, what are some tips for raising confident, capable kids? I think the best tips I would tell you are to make sure that you are as confident and successful as you can be and want to be mm-hmm. and should be. 
and role model that, but also empower your children. And I think a lot of parents, unfortunately, think by loving their child, they enable them and get them a tutor and they get them this and they get them that. But it's okay to let your child struggle. It's like when you have a toddler and they trip and fall, if you go, oh my God, oh my God, are you okay? When they're okay. If you just say, oops, you're okay, you can get up and walk. Give them confidence and get up and push through it. Same thing no matter what age they are. Don't enable and you'll make a confident kid. Can you give another example of what that would look like in the teenage years? Yes. So when you have a kid, a child, a teenager who tries out for a team and they don't make it, they're devastated. But that doesn't mean you fall down with them and they, the coach was no good and this other kid was, didn't know, but they knew somebody else on the team. And they, all that kind of stuff is not what keep your child to the basic reason that did they try their best? If they did, that's great. If they didn't, they have to do better. And then they go right back out to another place and they start practicing and they better their skill and just ignore all that other ability to like discount what really happened and get bitter about it. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes that's what happens, especially in tween and teenage girls, when they start that, the caddy stuff that, you know, over groupings of, you know, one, somebody doesn't look good or they're gaining weight or someone doesn't have their menstrual period yet and they're not hormonal and the others look sexier and all that craziness. You know, keep your child to the basics of what's important and don't let them get caught up into the emotional side of things because that's what's going to twist. Yeah. So what does the art of negotiations with your kids look like? Well, especially for teenagers, you have to respect them. You don't have to like agree with them, but you do need to, you know, respect them. So if you're talking about driving and the expectations of driving or random drug testing that they're starting to go out. You know, there has to be a give and a take in the discussion and always come up with an agreeable contract that's probably written out. So there's no dispute over. I said that you said that, and I didn't mean that. And everybody signs it, but it's the art of negotiation, sitting down with respect, talking in a respectful way and coming up with a agreed upon agreement on whatever the topic is, because then they feel heard. They feel they have some control in their life. They feel they're respected and they're going to give you the same back. Again, it's role modeling what you want. You get it back. The issue is parents, it's hard for parents to just sit and listen without jumping in and interrupting or getting upset because they can't control their child. But you'll be able to better control your child if you listen and just let them get it out. So true. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of parents may struggle about like how much do you negotiate because they're the parents. Well, I think you have to have your own personal boundaries. And I would tell your child that at a certain point, if you're getting to a place where they're pushing, but you also have to be respectful and say, listen, I feel like you're pushing. Like we'd move from here to here and I'm not going to move any further because as a parent, I need to keep this line. And then that's clear. Mm -hmm. But some parents aren't safe and comfortable to say that they think their child will get mad at them. So they're, they're kind of wishy-washy and they let it slide and, They don't give a firm answer. And then the child or the teen does what they think they can get away with, like any kid is going to do. And then they get kabooms by an angry parent. But you only have yourself to blame. So be clear up front and respectful and honest. Yeah, I I believe that clarity dials down so much drama. And that's the job of the parent. Yes. Yes. I mean, these kids are teenagers for the first time. They've never done this before. We have. Mm Mm-hmm. So what are some common questions that you're asked? 
I'm often asked, how do I deal with sleep issues, food issues, behave, a lot of behavioral issues, obviously. Um, substance abuse is huge for teens and unfortunately tweens about, you know, what is okay, social media, how much, how little, what time, but anything, anybody that has any kind of genetics of addiction in their family, aunts, uncles, grandparents, you have to be careful that you're igniting your child's brain and you're starting that wiring from going on. That's the medical side of all this that nobody really wants to look at. And putting your child into social media or on video games or allowing them to vape nicotine or vape weed at a certain age, you better check your genetics because you're, you could be igniting a fire with gas. So I tell people all these kinds of things to take a look at before you just automatically say, okay. Mm-hmm. And even if with parameters, I mean, obviously substances are not good at any level for kids, but video games, technology, access to phones at night, you know, all that needs to have limits and boundaries no matter what. But if you have an addictive family history, even more so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I get asked a lot about those. Yeah. Well, I like that you have a holistic approach, including Thank biology. You. Yeah. I mean, you can't ignore it, but it doesn't have to predominate, but you have to look at everything. You don't want to miss something and misdiagnose something mm-hmm. or mistreat it. Yeah. So do you have any last advice for the moms listening? Yes. Never give up. And it's never too late to be a great parent Mm -hmm. and try, get the book, look at sweep, do it on yourself, do it on your husband, do it on your family. And you'll see a huge shift just in those five key areas. Mm -hmm. And it's simple and it's easy. And you could do it on a daily basis, weekly basis, but it's easy. Get those five areas in line and life will change. Oh, that's great. So how can they contact you and how can they find the book? The book is all over. It's number one on Amazon today. And it's all over Barnes and Noble, Audible, on my website, www.drsophie.com. On Dr. Phil, you can get it on his website and um, you can write into me at any time. I'll answer your questions on Instagram, on my website. I'm happy to reach out to anybody who needs help. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning, best-selling books, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, and my newest release book, Dial Up the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You. You can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com, and that has two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.